بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد الفاتح لما أغلق والخاتم لما سبق ناصر الحق بالحق والهادي إلى صراطك المستقيم صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه حق قدره ومقداره العظيم السلام عليكم everyone uh, I come to you uh, this uh, this episode by myself because uh, everyone's off this week and NBIC is off. Everyone there is, uh, is, is taking a break. Uh, the people at Safina Society are off. Uh, Moeen and Elias wanted to be here, uh, but they were off and they uh, had some things to do. So uh, we're, I'm, I'm going to take it solo here today with some inspirations from uh, Elias uh, that were mentioned and also from Moeen from our discussions recently. Uh, one of the things that I want to start with is that this deen is, we are a people of immense hope beyond belief. And our, uh, the, the one thing I love about Islam, and the beauty of our aqidah, is that no matter how bleak or dark anything gets, or people make it seem to be, I mean, things don't get bleak for nothing. People make things seem dark, bleak, as if it's khalas, everything is bad. It's never bad when you actually think of the equation. Okay, and this is something that I took from uh, Obedullah Evans. He wrote a, a critical uh, article, and he has in it uh, two things that I eventually I want to bring up. This one thing I want to bring up that is so so important. He says here, right? He's talking about racism. Okay, if we center white racism when addressing the oppression and subjugation of black people without a complementary discourse in which we center God and the moral agency of black people, we give away all of our self-determination. The summary of what he's saying here, okay, and there's more which I'm going to get to, is that as soon as you pit yourself against your problem, all right, you've already, your, your, your chances have gone down, right? Rather, this any problem that you have, there are three parts to the equation. There's you, there's your problem, and there's the creator of you and your problem. And this is where the agency of a mu'min is even beyond any type of self-determination because uh, when, when Allah Azza wa Jal is doing, is your agent, all right? This is divine agency. When He is doing your bidding for you, all right, then who can stop you? He continues, for if the primary cause of my subjugation is only the pernicious evil of white racism, white racism, okay, then the primary source of my redemption can only be the repudiation of that racism. Lamentably, that would mean accepting that the cause of my redemption will be white America's toba and not my own. As a self-determining free black man, I cannot face that. So this is the triangle of tribulation. Remember this phrase, the triangle of tribulation is me, my problem, and the creator of both me and my problem. Right? And this is what we're talking about here whenever the mu'min has an issue or feels darkness or feels diq or feels some stress or some difficulty or some haraj. Okay, think about this. The mu'min immediately realizes Allah is there. Allah has not gone anywhere. And if we have a problem, the first thing that we turn to is what have we done wrong? Like he says here, okay, right, right, he says here, my own toba is my source, okay? My own toba is my source of redemption. 
And it doesn't make a difference whether my oppressor stops or doesn't stop. The issue is my creator. Allah Azza wa Jal may send an oppressor to fix us, to correct us. All right, He may send an oppressor to correct us. Why is it ever that uh, Bani Israel were, were tried so many times with oppressors? Because of their own wrong actions. Okay, Because of their own wrong actions. And how did their prophets get them out of that? Through their own tawbah. Which is not to say that every time someone is victimized, that we blame the victim and say that you are the reason for your own problems. No, we have to have fiqh about this. Because there are some truths which out of place, they're no longer truths. They're actually falsehoods. Take when, uh, when Allah Azza wa speaks about the Bani Israel, you have to look that He speaks about them before the Exodus, very differently than how He speaks about them after the Exodus. The Exodus being their freedom and liberation from, uh, from Fir'aun. Okay? Now, before the Exodus, how are they labeled? They are purely labeled as the oppressed. They are purely labeled as the people that Fir'aun is oppressing. That's it. That's how they're labeled. Allah Azza wa Jal did not come to the Bani Israel while they're being oppressed and say, didn't you do this? Didn't you do this? Didn't you do this? Okay. Between the time that the Bani Israel were oppressed, then crossed the Red Sea and are no longer oppressors, they didn't do anything. Right? There was no, no new history. But as soon as they get over and now they're free and their oppressor is drowned and they are a free people, now Allah Azza wa Jal begins correcting them. Okay. So this is also some fiqh about when there is a victim, how do we talk? How do we talk when there's a victim? You don't go on, you, you have to address the greater victim first. You have to address the oppressor first. Then you can address the person who was oppressed and any wrongs that they have maybe that they have done and maybe even caused their oppression. Okay? That they have caused their oppression. But Allah Azza wa Jal, so long as there are two oppressors, He handles the first oppressor. Then way after you have seen your oppressor go down under the sea, then he may now speak and say, look, you have done this to the prophets. You've done this. You've disrespected. You've not been grateful, etc., 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 and correct the second, the victim, who also has his own issues. Because we don't believe that oppression comes from, uh, we don't believe that problems, I should say, come from nowhere, right? Oppression can come from nowhere, all right? Yani, there's no, nobody oppressed, then the Prophet ﷺ wouldn't have said the hadith, fear the dua of the mazloom. The dua of the oppressed. Because between it and Allah, there is no barrier. No, there is pure oppression. People oppress others for no reason except that they're vulnerable or except that the, they have something about them that the oppressor doesn't like or they have something that oppressor wants. So we're not going to say there's absolutely no oppression at all. No, there is. But when we as individuals do wrong, okay, or someone is attacking us, one of the things that we should do is start asking ourselves, have I done something wrong? Okay, maybe I have done something wrong, right, to bring this about myself. And sometimes the answer is, I really don't know what I've done. And sometimes genuinely the answer is, I haven't done anything wrong, right? I haven't done anything wrong, right? So, but the attitude of a mu'min is beyond uh, self-determination, right? And, 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 and our own agency, no, we have divine agency. And Allah Azza wa Jal is the determinant of our affairs. And this is why the mu'min, he has eternal hope, really, 
eternal hope, right? And one of the things people don't like to do when they're in, in, in an issue is admit that they're wrong, right? One of the things people don't like to do is very hard to do this. So w whenever ulama in, let's say, in tasawwuf, okay, there is a fadila or a virtue or a munjiyah uh, from the munjiyat, a munjiyah from the munjiyat, one of the things that uh, uh, save people, the ulama will describe it. Then they'll describe why is it some people will hesitate to do this. And why is it that some people will hesitate to blame themselves? Okay, Why? Because people keep up a reputation. There was a scene in Malcolm X, if you ever remember the movie, where uh, I can't recall the character, the person's name. He was basically Malcolm X's first basically uh, uh, boss. Okay, And this guy used to run the numbers. Okay, And one time, the man, he used to never write the numbers down. He would remember them in his head. Okay. And one time he remembered wrong. And Malcolm X, uh, right, at the time, Malcolm Little had to correct him. Right? His nickname at the time was Red. He corrected him and he told him, you're wrong about the numbers. Okay? And the man kept running after him and chased him down, etc., etc. And it became, and, 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 and Malcolm, uh, uh, really we should say, Rahimahullah, because he's the first Shaheed, I think the first Shaheed in Islam on American soil, I would say. Uh, so he, Rahimahullah uh, radiallahu an from his uh, his rank. Uh, later in the movie, when Malcolm X is now like an Imam, all right, he's now with the Nation of Islam, okay, and he's there because Imam could be said for anything. Imam could be said for any doctrine or anything. So he's an Imam. He's a leader of his people for a cause, right? That's what an Imam is for, be it for truth or otherwise. So he's an Imam now, and he's now visits Red or visits this man. And the, and the man says to him, he's an old man now, and he says, Malcolm, it had nothing to do with you. It was all about my reputation, right? Because if I was seen to have forgotten the number, right, or got the numbers wrong, no one would trust me in, in, in their gambling, right? Which is what they were doing, basically, like a lottery, basically, right? So it was all about my rep. That's what he says to Malcolm. At the, he says, this is, it was all about my rep, all right? It was all about my reputation. So people... Which it's important. If you're a professional, you need to be trusted. However, there's something that Umar ibn Khattab said to the uh, great Sahabi Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. Umar ibn Khattab wrote a letter to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. And he says, make your judgments based on the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And if you do not find the answer in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then use their principles as your guiding analogy, a guidance to make an analogy. And then he said, if you rule incorrectly bring back the case reopen the case and rule correctly right why because truth is eternal truth is eternal it's going to catch up with you either way we are not eternal we are contingent beings but the truth is eternal and the truth will catch up to us either in this life or in the next so you might as well cut it short and admit to your wrong People are afraid to for the reputations. You have to know. Reputation is in Allah's hand. Right? Reputations are in Allah's hand. Okay? They're in absolute control of Allah Azza wa Jal. If you are worried for your reputation, what if you want the people to have a good reputation of you? First of all, that's a problem in itself. A man came to the messenger, peace be upon him. And he said, and this man was known to care very seriously for his reputation. 
All right? He cared so much about his reputation. So he said to, O Messenger of Allah, he was not from the Sahaba that lived in Medina uh, or from the Kibar. He was just a visitor. And the visitors, they loved them because they used to always ask uh, sort of the questions that were not from the principles of the religion, but more rather for themselves. Right? So this man asked, O Messenger of Allah, tell me about something I can do so that Allah loves me and the people love me. So the Prophet ﷺ, he answered the question, but he also recognized the man's bigger problem. And this is in Usul al-Fiqh when you talk about al-Mufti wal-Mustafti, the one who asks a question and then one who is asked a question, okay, right? The one who, the, these two, right? The Mufti, he has to look into the Mustafti, the one who is asking the question, and he shouldn't just answer the question. He should look into the situation and the status of the one of the asker of the question, the inquirer, all right? And he should answer according to that, right? So one time the Prophet peace be upon him said, "Oh, they said, oh Messenger of Allah, we have to drink the water while we're on a ship. So then we don't have any water to make wudu because we have to drink that water. What should we do? Should we make wudu with it or should we drink?" The Prophet peace be upon him, he answered and he said, "The ocean its water is pure for wudu, and its dead is pure for eating. So the Prophet, then he addressed two things, not, not one thing. He didn't just address what they asked. He addressed two things, uh, about the wudu and about the food. So in this situation, the man asked the Prophet, the Prophet ﷺ recognized that this man is very concerned for his reputation. So he gave him a medicine. And this medicine, he said, if you want Allah to love you, leave off dunya. Right, and if you want the people to love you, don't desire what they have. Right. So what do people have? People have opinions. Right. Don't care about their opinions. What do people? Not like in a rude way. I don't care what you think. No. Don't care that they praise you. Don't care that they like you. If you are all alone in the desert and no one wants to see you, hear you, or talk about you, and they've totally forgotten you, you should be satisfied. Honestly, this is the psychology of Islam. This is tasawwuf right here. Right. If you're all alone in life. And you find that nobody remembers you, no one talks about you, no one really cares about you, no one even remembers who you are, okay? That shouldn't bother you, right? That shouldn't bother you at all. You sh this is what it means to be a person of Allah, to be a man or a woman of Allah, Azza wa Jal. That if I was, if everything was removed, and everyone who loved me now hated me, and everyone who considers me a good example actually now considers me a bad example, right? So even when they do remember me, they remember me as something... To, to avoid, right? A path to avoid, like a, a lesson, right? a cautionary tale. And then everyone else doesn't even remember me, and they remember my worst enemy and my rival, and my rival won, and I am forgotten. You shouldn't have a problem with that. This is, the, this is a very hard fact for people to take. This is, this is a reality that very hard for people to take. You shouldn't have a problem with that. Why? What do you want from the khalq? You're a mu'min. What do you want from the creation? Not only the creation, a very limited percentage, slice of the creation. Number one, we're only talking about humans here, right? So eliminate all the everything. We're only talking about humans. Number two, we're only talking about the humans of your era. The humans of 2016 and 2015 and, and, and what have you. And on top of that, only the humans that speak your language. And only the humans that have come in contact with you. So we're talking about a, a minuscule slice of the creation. And this is what we care about. We care, we, and we don't think that Allah Azza wa Jal, He could make us in the gutter, in the eyes of these people. 
and then he could raise us up, and then he could put us in the gutter again and raise us up. Now we should be very cautious. What I'm about to say is Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, and uh, I should ca say caution because the reputation of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam is never down. Let's just make that clear that we respect the prophets. They, to say in the gutter and then to mention Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, no. But this is as, as an analogy. Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, what was his standing in his family? He was the happiest child on the earth. Happiest child on the earth. He had 10 siblings, 10 brothers. And he had a loving mother and a loving father. And on top of that, okay, on top of that, he was a prophet of Allah. Then what happened? In one day, all of a sudden, the envy of his brothers happened. All of a sudden, he's at the bottom of the well. And he's being sold as a slave, right? And then Allah even says, Darahim ma'adudat, right? Uh, small number of dirhams that they didn't even, kanufihim in a zahideen, right? Uh, I don't want to mistake the ayah. I don't think it's darahim ma'adudat. No, that's ayam ma'adudat, right? Darahim, a small number of coins that they sold him for. Wakanufihim in a zahideen, they didn't even care. They considered him worthless, okay? They considered his value as a slave worthless. Then time passes. He's now a servant. He went from being this happy life down all the way to being a servant, right? That, that, uh, living in that role. Then he came, became a prince of the palace, a respected, handsome, uh, uh, valuable prince of the palace. Okay. Then what? Then he became public enemy number one again when he crossed with Zulaikha uh, or Imra'at al-Aziz and refused to follow her. Okay. Then he became public enemy. Then he went to jail. So he's now he went from being a slave. Uh, uh, abandoned in the well, right? Now he's a, a prisoner in the jail with criminals, right? And people who, you know, don't recognize his value and his worth, right? Then what? Then elevated again in the same community, okay? The same country, the same people, elevated all the way up again, right? To becoming the Aziz, the minister, uh, or, or the, the minister of, uh, for, for the king, right? Handling the agriculture and the food, right? Handling food which is the biggest deal back in the day. Security, the military, and food. All right? And then his brothers come, and amidst the same people who had put him in the well, they're now prostrating to him. So you see, reputation is something, subhanAllah, it comes and goes. Really, it comes and goes. And the only thing, the only way to handle people's fear for their reputation, right, is to drown it out in the presence of Allah by making much of dhikr, abundance of dhikr of Allah, Azza wa Jal, to remind you, Who's in charge? Whose world is this? Who actually exists? Uh, a sheikh once asked another, uh, a student once asked his sheikh, he said, what was it like before all the creation? Right? The sheikh answered, there was Allah and there was nothing else. Then he paused a little bit. Then he said, and it's still the same way. Right? It's still the same way. Right? What, what is, yeah, I mean, we exist. Our existence is so contingent that if Allah Azza wa Jal lifts his mercy from us and his qayyumiyyah, right? His, his keeping us established in, in existence for an iota of a second, okay? We disappear immediately. This is how contingent we are, right? Erase from your memory humans and people. And I'll tell you what's the problem. And this is something that Elias brought up with me uh, uh, this weekend on the phone, okay? And this is not to, to knock any certain group of people. Okay, because by the way, I want to speak all with respect. I'm not demeaning Muslims anymore, right? I used to have a very nasty, cutting, uh, mean streak towards people who I believe were wrong, who are wrong, right? They are wrong. Okay, I can't deny that. But I'm telling you, Trump is coming, 
And I want to be on record with Allah Azza wa Jal to have said the truth in a respectful way, right? Not in a cutting and demeaning way, even though a lot of other people are demeaning. Well, they're not my teachers, okay? They're not our teachers. The people that I took with who are the most uh, uh, conservative and, 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 and steadfast in the deen, they're strong and, and steadfast and they're not demeaning. And that's the example I need to follow because what goes around comes around. Right? And what goes around with justice even may come around with falsehood. That means you might demean people who are on the wrong. right? And then oppressors might come and demean you in falsehood. Right? So what goes around comes around irrespective of right and wrong. So the, the, my point is the attitude we're going to take when we're talking about groups and people is with, without demeaning them, but we're still going to go uh, to discuss the hard issues that need to be discussed. Right? Really, nobody needs someone who's got their head in the sky all right, talking to us about something that's irrelevant. So, what Ilyas said is that the imams today are following the activists. In general, and this is true, this is very true, the dialogue, quote-unquote, to be quote-unquote relevant, you basically have to, you're following in the footsteps of the act, the agenda of the activists. So, what's a, when you have a meeting, a business meeting, right, someone's got to write the agenda, right, of what is the most important issue and what is the least important issue. All right, the secretary of an organization, they go and they write, all right, what's the most important issue that we have to cover? The top three that we have, the meeting is not going to close until we finish these three. Versus, all right, what can we cover if possible? I'm telling you, this, when we are mu'mineen, we are mu'mineen billah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The agenda is in the Quran, okay? And unfortunately, there are some people who are doing good work. They're doing great work, but it's all earthly work. It's all earthly, all right? Earthly. There's earthly oppression and there's heavenly oppression, okay? There's oppression that happens between humans and there's oppression of humans to the rights of Allah Azza wa Jal. You cannot solve the latter without solving the former. The mashayikh and imams are concerned with both, but in the right order. And if they're not concerned with earthly oppression, then they're not, Im- they're not good imams, right? But the activists who we're praising, we're not saying they're bad people. We're not saying their agenda's wrong, okay? And I'm not even discussing the types of activists and their thought out there. But their main goal is earthly oppression. We tell you, if you're a Muslim activist, okay, and if you're an imam, the both of you have to have the priority correct, right? The Im- Im- imams have to include earthly oppression. Okay, they have to include that. They have to be educated on that. You can't be clueless about what's happening to people. Okay, and if you're gonna be clueless, then just stay clueless and 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 don't even discuss it. Right? Just teach fiqh and that's it, and aqidah and that's it. And we'll come. We'll, people will come to you and take benefit and go, but don't interfere with anything else. Right? And who wants that? But number two, the activists need to understand this triangle. Of tribulation oppressor oppressed and the creator of both we cannot solve oppression without first rectifying what is between us and between the creator right what is between us and the khaliq azawajal okay because when we recognize this all of a sudden our agenda of activism changes at this point you know even if you're an activist aqidah is part of activism right aqidah getting our aqidah straight is part of our activism, right? How can we expect to get divine assistance, right? 
if we're actually not even praying properly, if we're not believing properly, how can we expect that if we're not giving Allah Azza wa Jal his least? How can we expect from my teachers to give me an A when I'm not even handing in homework? All right? And this is again from Ubaidullah Evans. Listen to what he says. Ustav Ubaidullah Evans out of Chicago. Listen to what he says here. I'm also watching the assumptions of secular liberalism surreptitiously displace the worldview of the Quran and the way of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that really worries me. I meet young Muslims at college campuses who have acquired that distinctly Marxist focus. Honestly, I want to write this in gold. Marxist focus on external evil, all right, earthly evil, in connection with oppression with no complementary Ghazalian focus, I would just say a Quranic focus, uh, prophetic focus, on the connection of interiorized evil to oppression. Meaning that, as the Prophet ﷺ said, whenever the Muslim is oppressed, it is because of, as a community, it is because of leaving off something of, of the sacred law. Or whenever we are divided, it is because we have left his example right, and taken others as example. All right, that's me. He continues, I meet young Muslims who proudly display their commitment to pluralism by saying things like, Muhammad is the last and final messenger of God, but that's just my personal opinion. I think that's, yeah, subhanAllah. And then can entertain no difference of opinion on issues of race, gender, and sexual identity. Does it get any more superficial than that? End quote. I mean, this, I really want to write it in gold. I want to, I love this quote so much, I'm going to read it again. He says, I'm also watching the assumptions of secular liberalism surreptitiously displace the worldview of the Quran and way of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that really worries me. I meet young Muslims at college campuses who have acquired the distinctly Marxist focus on external evil in connection with oppression with no complementary Ghazalian focus on the connection of interiorized evil to oppression. I meet young Muslims who proudly display their commitment to pluralism by saying things like Muhammad is the last and final messenger of God, but that's just my personal opinion, and then can entertain no difference of opinion on issues of race, gender, and sexual identity. Does it get any more superficial than that? End quote. From the article of Ubaidullah Evans, uh, and I posted these two uh, on my timeline, because this is exactly what we're talking about. The triangle all right, of tribulation has the oppressor and the oppressed and the creator of both. And all we need is to be in line, and that line between us and the creator needs to be rectified. You don't need to worry about anything else, right? And then only when you fix that can you then go face your oppressor, all right? Then you will get the tawfiq. You will get the tawfiq, right? And when I say you don't need to worry about anything else, I mean, I don't mean you don't need to do anything else. No, I, I mean, you do not need to change the minds of others. You do not, you are not, the situation is not dependent upon any other people, any other creation. The khalq is contingent and they're not absolute. And once you have the absolute on your side, then you can start moving. So the issue of, of imams following the activists, I get that there has to be a, a union between the two. They're unified. They've got to be unified. There's got to be people who focus on the sacred while uh, being aware of the earthly oppression, while those who are at the forefronts handling earthly oppression 
they also have to be if they're if they're if they want to be Muslim activists. I mean, if they don't want to be Muslim activists in the first place, that's a different story, all right. But if they want to be considered Muslim activists, they need a teacher. They need to recognize what Allah Azza wa Jal conditions He places for changing our conditions, and they need to know that there are spiritual realities at play, and there are spiritual causes to material oppressions. All right, there are the Prophet peace be upon him said in a hadith we should all know and mem memorize. You shall never depart from the sacred law, except that Allah Azza wa Jal will send upon you a people to take your wealth and 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 kill and remove you from your homes. And he said, you shall never part from my sunnah, except that Allah Azza wa Jal will divide you. So you see here, there are spiritual causes. Not just materialists. This is why he said Marxist. When he says, when he says Marxist view, or uh, what is exact word he says, Marxist focus on external evil. Meaning that you look at the external evil, really considering that evil is an autonomous being. That evil is not an autonomous being. Your oppressor is not an autonomous being. Right? And you yourself are not an autonomous being. And you have no efficacy in yourself. You cannot affect anything yourself. You can only affect what Allah allows you to affect. And how can, you, how can we expect to get divine aid? Right? When we are not giving the divine his due. And this is our point and goal. And this is the point and goal of knowledge in, in, in coming to uh, an, uh, um, the, the middle ground or coming to a meeting point with activists and activism is recognizing this. The triage of priorities and also the perspective on efficacy. Right? We actually believe we have no efficacy at all. Right? It's all coming from Allah. Whatever Allah wishes to happen is going to happen. When we act, if we succeed, it's because Allah wanted us to succeed. If we fail, it's because we haven't done enough ourselves. There's something else wrong with ourselves. Right? So this is something that I think the activists who are doing a great job, right? who we are not demeaning, and we're not even speaking about one specific activist, and just in general, right? that they need to triage. And they need to be out there on the front lines. And they need to be taking asbab. We're not just saying you just go and pray and make dhikr and spiritually things are going to be fixed. No. But you understand that some wrongs have spiritual origins. And that our effectiveness is only by the permission of Allah. How are we going to get that effectiveness if we are not in line with Allah? How, how are we going to be effective right, and get the divine aid if we don't care right, about giving Allah his attention and his due? Right, giving him his due. So this is if someone wants to be a Muslim activist. A lot of people who are Muslim out there, they don't want to be Muslim activists. They just want to be uh, uh, contemporary liberal social justice type of activists, right? And that's that's then we're not in the discussion at that point. Uh, that's not in the discussion. So the point here is the beauty of this deen, Subhanallah, that we are only always in a state of hope as long as we are close to Allah Azza wa Jal. We are in a state of hope, and how do we get close to Allah? Right? Right? My servant, he doesn't draw near to me with anything more beloved right, to me than what I've obligated. So it goes back to the basics obligations and prohibitions. That's how you become near to Allah. Just near and his nearness. And what is in his nearness? Protection. Right? If you're near the police station, you should be protected. If you're near the king's castle, you should be protected. Okay? You should feel safe and secure. And then he says, 
يتقرب إلي بالنوافل حتى أحبه. Now he continues to draw near, right? Enter into this nearness with what? Extra acts of ibadat, extra good deeds until I love him. And then when I love him, right? Once Allah loves Abd, then he's a wali, and at that point, his seeing is inspired, his hearing is inspired, his speech is inspired. Everything about this Abd is inspired, right? And then if he asks me, إِذَا سَأَلَنِي أَعْطَيْتَ If he asks me, I give him, right? What is the weapon of the awliya? Is when they put their hands up. This is their greatest weapon. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas had this. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, a man uh, accused him one time of, of being unjust, right? And not praying properly. And he wrote a letter to Umar ibn Khattab. And Sa'ad said, Oh Allah, if you know that this man is attacking me unjustly, right? For the sake of attacking me, yani this is a personal attack, then take away his sight, give him a long life, take away his sight, and make him right? Make him succumb to his temptations. Right? This is the dua Sa'ad made against this man, right? People say, people say, Oh, how could you make dua against someone? All right, wait a second. If someone does libel, don't, won't you take him to court? Awliya, uh, they don't. They go to a higher court, and they say, "Oh Allah, if I'm wrong, if if this man is actually personally attacking me personally, not because he sees some wrong that I'm doing, then give him a long life, take away his eyesight, and let him be, uh, let him be uh, uh, succumb to temptation." And that man was seen that he lived a long life. He was partially blind, right? He was partially blind. And he was uh, still chasing after young girls in the in the streets, right? And he would he would say you know inappropriate things to young girls in the streets, reach his hand out, and be completely inappropriate as an old man, right? And they said that his brow he was so old that his brow had come over his eyes, so he couldn't even see, right? On top of that, he was partially blind. Now, one time Ibn Masud said to Ibn Masud, one time he had a dis- disagreement with Sayyidina Saad Ibn Abi Waqqas about the finances of and, and of Kufa. And Ibn Mas'ud was the treasurer and Sa'ad was the Amir, right? He was the wali or the governor of Kufa and Sa'ad ibn Abi Qas was the treasurer, right? And they had some scuffle came out between them, okay? And Ibn Mas'ud refused to back down. So what did Sa'ad do? Sa'ad said, Ibn Mas'ud, if you don't stop, I'm going to raise my hand. And he raised his hands up to make dua. Ibn Mas'ud packed up his stuff and ran home. And he didn't come out of his house for three days. This is how much the, the, the Sahaba knew that the dua of the wali is his greatest weapon. Right? It is his greatest weapon. And, and it goes to, the beauty of this is that we're, we're not talking about people who only use dua. They use dua alongside with their action. Right in this world, they're not mutually exclusive because I know there are some people, unfortunately, they have an allergy, right, to someone who says that dua or anything spiritual is an answer because they think and they imagine that it's mutually exclusive, that we're promoting and preaching something that's mutually exclusive. We tell you, no, they're not mutually exclusive at all. It has nothing to do, okay, with uh, being mutually exclusive. So you could do both. You could have spiritual elements and you can have physical elements, right? That's the whole point of the sunnah. It teaches us to gather between these two. So this is, this wilaya has to be at the top of our agenda, 
All right, we can never lose sight of this. All right, no matter how uh, busy we are with earthly oppressions and earthly issues, we can never lose sight of that there is a triangle going on here. The triangle of tribulation, all right? It has you, your problem, and the maker and creator of you and your problem. And this is what Moeen and I, when we talked, he said that, I'm just shutting this stuff down. I'm shutting the, the I'm, I'm, shut, I'm turning off everything, right? And I'm opening the book of Allah. And I said, yeah, that's what we have to be doing. Every once in a while, there's got to be a shutdown, right? There's got to be a shutdown of everything, right? Uh, earthly, and just rectify that link between us and the maker of both us and our problems. And Sheikh Bushishi in Morocco, he says that his methodology of changing things is change the hearts of the people when you change the way people view their problem, the way they view the world, they realize that most problems stop being problems, right? Because you're just too busy with something else, something greater. This is one of the things that he said, and then the, and other reasons. But uh, when you and Einstein has this statement too. It's very famous. People attribute it to Einstein that a problem cannot be solved at the same level of consciousness, right? As with it, which, uh, in which it was created. So if you created a problem because you were thinking and viewing the world in a certain way, you cannot fix that problem, all right? Unless you actually change the way you view the world. Right? And the way you view the, the, the cosmos. So this is something we have to get back to on a regular basis. And the more we put emphasis on that line between us and the maker, when we now turn to us and our oppressor or us and our problem, or, and sometimes our oppressor is our own self, for those who have, uh, for, for people who have addictions, for example, right? And we all have some problem and sin, Right? I mean, none of us are perfect. Sometimes we ourselves are our own oppressors, right? Then when we turn, we're going to turn with weight. We're going to turn with heaviness. We're going to turn with power, right? Uh, because of what we accrued between us and Allah Azza wa Jal. So I'll close with that. Jazakum Allah khairan. Barakallahu feekum. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.